Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Illuminati Podcast, episode 208. As always, I am one of your hosts, hosts Mike Martin, joined by the Mark and Lard of L.A., Jesse and Alex. How's it going, boys? So let me get this straight. One of us is going to be called Mark. Yep. And the, and the other, other guy's Lard. The other guy's fucking Lard. Correct. You must choose. Do you know uh, who these I are? I don't know I, anything about Mark, so I'm gonna I'll be Lard because Mark sounds like one of those traps. You know what I mean? Like yeah, where like Mark's oh, his the name one. is Mark, but he's an avowed racist. You know what he I mean? Turned I out to, yeah, he turned out to be like anti-vax and all this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I trust Mark. Yeah. Yo, but what if this is one scientist who says it doesn't work and she's the scientist of toenails, and that's important because she has a doctorate. Right, right. Because toenails tell you about the body. That's so crazy that I don't even know what that is mark and lard i don't i don't think i know them of mark radcliffe and mark riley they both named mark one with a k one with a c though so very different oh uh, who presented various so weekly shows one of on bbc radio one mark. from 1991 to 2004 and the other guys the mark other guys fucking lard. 1958 he's an english radio broadcaster musician a musician and a writer here is what mark I, looks like not lard i'll go ahead and link you to his uh wiki page nice and easy that way yeah like mark's the one uh-huh. i mean this in the nicest way possible to everyone in the uk mark and lard look exactly like you would imagine two dudes on the radio from the uk to look <laughs> that is so <laughs> that is so accurate you are actually correct <laughs> like i can't even begin to like there's no description necessary just imagine two dudes half their photos are them drinking pints out on the street looking kind of tired but also like we're sassy this guy's a, this one uh from mark he's the picture of him at the festival where he's got like a tricorn on or something it's hard to tell one of them kind of looks like one of them kind of looks like uh pete townsend a little bit yeah all right well i'll i'll take mark i already checked his i checked his wiki and there's nothing scandalous he's not yeah, it's all good mark is clear mark is fine great well you can prevent the two of them from becoming the mark and lard of la if you just go to patreon.com slash illuminati pod right Alex? is that how that works that's true we will well, not yeah, have out of to the job now. This. they don't have yeah. a job anymore we they're won't done. have to forsake this show and move on to a successful career in bbc radio we can just stay right here yes we're, we're on our way that's a good that's not like a bad job to no. retire from. It's it's like one of those Spider-Verse type things. Like if if you know, if this happened, then this <laughs> happened. But if you like this show and you don't want to change up which universe you're in and start a subreddit about it, head over to patreon.com slash pod where you can not only support us with money, but also get great things in return, like mini sodes that are increasingly becoming not so many after every episode i'm still telling the story god damn you're not and today's i promise you today's gonna be another long one because it's gonna be i'm going back into the uap update i'm not gonna do another full episode about it today it would just not be the time it's just there's just so much to say but so much to wait for uh i'm still telling the story of stones or stone or however many stones there are dude it's the story of the infinity stones at this point yeah it's getting it's getting there um but uh that's still going on. Head over there, get it, get art, get uh, pre-sale on merch. There's all kinds of great stuff, and our brand new, we're just in the first couple episodes still, very brand new, just just released show, Rotten Popcorn, in which we watch movies uh, that Mathis has never seen before most of the time. Uh, but this time, it happened. It finally happened. Mathis saw the X-Files. People, it's their favorite Rotten Popcorn by far, by the numbers alone, never mind the comments. The comments are like, I would support you doing this as like an extra thing to rotten popcorn if you wanted. I don't care. I want to see more of this. Okay. And then another person was like, I forgot how crazy this show is. I love it. 
So there's a lot of love for uh, for X Files and us watching the X Files. If I if there's some way that it turns into that I can you can pay me to watch the X Files, uh, sign me up, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> and just so you know, the same tier you get the rotten popcorn, the you get the poster. You also now are getting mini sods with video as well. So for everybody who's been wanting mini so a bunch of people jumped to that tier. So thank you for that. By the way, look at my bloated, exhausted face <laughs> as I as I talk. Just ruin your image of me. If you are like, if Matt, I wonder if Mathis just looks like a, a hippies out of, out of the sixties. You're correct. I look exactly like. If you that. want to find out how many inbox PC games Mathis has, head to Patreon.com/slash/IlluminatiPod. <laughs> that's, that's good, good number. Yeah. All right, boys. Today's a fun episode. This is one I've been working on for a few months, kind of on and off. Initially, it was actually going to be part of one of those like grab bag episodes of multiple things on a general topic. But the more I went into it, the more I was curious about it. And now I have a 15, 16 page script that we're going to go through. I don't know how long it's going to take, but oh my. it's all going to be in one go here. Today is kind of a mix of true crime and history. But no, we're not talking serial killers or really murderers with intent, I'll say. What? today? We're talking about the horrible history of human zoos. Pardon? The horrible history of human zoos. Human zoos? Human zoos. Z-O-O-S. Human zoos? Human zoos. Zoos with humans inside. Correct. What? All right. You've never... <laughs> Jesse, we talked about it briefly before. I thought you were saying... I thought you were saying like some... Wor- like, like, I thought you were like saying like... Human Zeus. No, 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 no. It's not Human Zeus. This is just the history of human Zeus. I'm here now. No, I'm here. I'm on the yeah, page now. Cool. I just, Jesse, are you here? Absolutely we mystified. All, I mean, Why do you look confused? It's one of those. He was more a fan of being like a goose or something like that. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just, you just missed. I was mystified for a second. I was like, Jesse looked mystified too. Did I really, was it because of how I said it? No, it isn't how you said it. I just, the concept of a human zoo to me is bizarre, but I, yeah. All right. Take us down this path. Do you know? Okay. So then that's actually my first question. Do you know much about the human zoo era of human history? Really? Uh, I would think it's more like a sideshow at a circus kind of vibe. Kind of how it started. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Speaking of human zoos, uh, Minisodes now with video at patreon.com slash <laughs> See the incredible ape man <laughs> and dog boy. I've been working on this script for a while, so let's ju- jump in because I'm excited to educate Jesse for the maybe the first time on something that's historical. I'm ready. Take me away, superstar. In the hushed, hallowed halls of history, there echoes a tale of grandiosity and the grotesque, triumphs and travesties, and of civilizations and its often uncivilized underbelly. And one such dark tale weaves through the 19th and early 20th century, shadowing the age of exploration, the rise of scientific racism, and the thundering footfalls of what else? Everybody's favorite, colonialism! We love colonialism! It's uh, all- I thought you were going to say, the land of Humansus. Uh, Humansus. We're getting there, <laughs> we're getting there. This is a story not just of the power and prejudice of, obviously, the nations that partook, but of humanity's insatiable curiosity and occasional crassness of times when the dignity of life was traded for entertainment, education, quote unquote, and the illusion of superiority, which is really running through. Sometimes you just got to take what you got over here, put it over there, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it started, actually. You got to get your stank and put it. You got to get your stank as far as you can get it. It's like trying to introduce new cats to each other. They got to get used to each other's stank. They got to explore each other's territories a little bit. And then one one 
uh, cat exploits the other cat based on the color of the cat's skin mm. and starts a global slave trade. Yeah, I know. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, you yeah. are correct. That is uh, the humans. Uh, slavery is very much a part of this whole entire thing. We'll get there. Um, it's a story of like uh, of something so inconceivable in our modern times and sensitivities, but it's an undeniably it's undeniably rather a part of our collective past, the human zoos. So let's turn back the clock, as we always do, and plunge into a tale with harsh realities, compelling characters, and of course, the indomitable spirit of survival, except for the ones who didn't live. So I've got a few <laughs> sources I would love to just shout out before we jump in. Uh, the, was the, that an ad lib? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I, 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 wrote, I wrote that script line and then that, that last part just kind of came out of my mouth. It was a good laugh. It got I was me. like, no, that's because in the writing of it, you're like, this is great. But then you're a like, written joke, yeah. And then you sit there and you're like, no, people died. So yeah. uh, all right. anyway, so the main source I'm using for today is a book by the name of Human Zoos, The Invention of the Savage by Pascal Blanchard, Guillet Boresh, and Nanette snope i was just i'm doing my best um and then there's the uh the spectacle of the other by Stuart hill both books very good um there's also like an infinite number of books you could choose from to talk about this that explore various niches uh specifically obviously uh the the slavery in the u.s which goes from uh there's a book that i i wanted to read but didn't have time called the darkest america black minstrels in slavery to hip-hop and just kind of tracks how hip-hop became a thing and, and what aspects of their lives mm-hmm. and, and their their ancestors are what influenced how all that happened and um and uh, you know you, you think about the minstrel stuff of like the white gloves and people don't realize like that comes from like a racist core that kind of thing but not what we're looking at today specifically but okay i just so got an email things. from the uh tourism department of the land of humansus and they just want to let everyone know they're accepting of all people of all kinds. They think everybody's the same. They love it. They're very progressive in human zoos. They have nothing to do with human zoos. It's nothing like that. And they're not affiliated with the Chilminati podcast in any way. Yeah. So wow, they were quick. Yeah. They're listening live. So they're, you know, Incredible. they're, yeah, they got oh. that. Yeah. They got that next level Patreon tier. Yeah. On the $10,000 yeah, tier that the nobody's tier, taken yeah. so far. There's only one spot for that anyway. Yeah. So obviously before we dive in fully, just remember this, this is, can be a sensitive topic and, uh, just the way people were treated here. And, and it's going to be kind of hard to hear for some of the things, but it's also a huge part of not only uh, the history of the world, but U.S. history. And our journey begins where else but the Age of Discovery, which was around the late 15th century. This era saw a surge in overseas explorations led by European powers, primarily Portugal, Spain, Britain, and France. And as these nations expanded their horizons past their coastal shores, charting previously unexplored territories, of course, what they did is encounter diverse civilizations pretty much everywhere they went. The indigenous cultures of Africa, the Americas, Oceania became the subjects of intrigue for Europeans who considered their own society to be, of course, the paragon of civilization. It all comes from what I said in the beginning, that through line of the feeling of being superior, and they could, nobody could be better than what they're doing over in Europe right yeah. now. AKA in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, taking it very quickly became customary for explorers that were out there to bring to Europe souvenirs from their journeys. Uh, also now known as stolen artifacts and goods from their natural lands that need to go back to the people they belong to that still often sit in museums. Yeah. It's still, this is the thing. We still do it. Like we still, we hold on because we don't trust them to treat their own shit. With the it's right. not even that, you know, like, that's what everybody always says. It's literally just, it's literally just an unwillingness to, like, change the status quo. 
It's it's just literally just the unwillingness to give away their cool stuff that they have in their museum. Imagine if sometime in 1870, somebody came to America, was like, wow, look at these uncivilized folk and stole our in- Declaration of Independence and won't give it back because they're afraid we might ruin it. Yeah. You know, it's like we would be we would be attacking them. It's insane. So it's it's during this time, you know, people are going out, exploring and taking things back that they shouldn't be. We know that Columbus brought back Chinese porcelain from his first voyage to the Americas in 1492. We know Hernan Cortez brought tons of silk, cottons, and featherwork from Mexico. And Francisco Pizarro brought back the best thing of all things to take, llamas. I thought you were going to say weed. Llamas. No. By the way, just like while all this was going on, a really, really great story that I just want to like reiterate for everyone out there, side tangent. Um, There's a great story about an explorer who went to South America and decided to explore the Amazon. Got in a boat with his crew, went down the Amazon, and he reported back when he returned uh, back to Europe. Oh, my God, you guys, there was massive cities, millions of people, just an incredible, incredible society and gold. And it was gorgeous. And like, I can't believe like we got to go back. Y'all <laughs> got to go loot that shit. And then a 100 years later, when everyone finally returned in full force, there was nothing there. And for years, like centuries it was a mystery everyone was like what happened to this place was the dude lying it was it all bs is this like one of those can i take a guess Eldorado things yeah you want to take a guess they all died from disease <laughs> yeah in that initial voyage they all got smallpox and none of the native people living there had any immunity so it wiped out 80 percent of the population and then everyone who was alive fled the cities and so the cities were swallowed up by the jungle and now just today through satellite and radar technology and like, we're just rediscovering lost ancient cities that are massive, like huge, massive jungle cities. They just discovered a Mayan highway that completely recontextualized how they believe big cities interacted with each other. Now that was like two weeks ago. It's so weird how insane it is when something happens in real life, like in the real world, this really happened it's not any sort of like metaphor or literary device, and yet it resonates so deeply with people who know about literature and theming and symbolism, and it also resonates so deeply with historians and also with like human behaviorists. It's almost like people who write stories tell things they know. The human experience is very simple. I'm know. just like, this is just such a, it's just such a fucking insane yeah thing it's such everything a metaphor for everything that happened after it yeah and one day it'll be the same for our world whether we're wiped out by aliens or not uh, eventually what's here will disappear why do i get the feeling that's what you want math is math is in a weird place bro yeah <laughs> i have a feeling like you really want them to just come in <laughs> math is in a weird place i can't i can't vaporize right the place we can't, like, start we, can't over. we can't change the subject i'm i'm on page two <laughs> we can't yes, change please, the subject <laughs> but beyond llamas being brought back the most shocking thing for those who are not read up on history is that even back then, before the invention of human zoology or zo- zoos, is the, they, they were bringing individuals from indigenous societies back to European courts. And these human specimens, quote unquote, were paraded around as curiosities, a living testimonial to the exoticism of the new world. This, this happened to like celebrity, like, like historical figures, right? Like, yeah, I've got a few people who are going to, there's a lot, yeah. there's so many people we know that this happened to. So, you know, I'm, I'm pulling a few. There's a, uh, we'll talk about it, but 
again, mm-hmm. even in this, there's that underlining current of superiority of these people we can parade around like a freaking animal because they're not they're they're barely better than an orangutan. Did you get to this through like the concept of like alien abductions? Is that like is that like what brought you to this idea of human Zeus? Like is that how you got <laughs> here? Think about the Earth is a zoo theory. Yeah. <laughs> no, the human zoo thing came up during a, a true crime thing because that's kind of what it is. It's like a, a civilization with more technology exploiting that to like take people from their like habitat and use them for whatever unnatural means. You know, speaking of aliens, there's a, th- a theory I saw floated out there that I'd never heard before, and it just kind of like was crazy. What if Roswell was an intentional crash, like giving monkeys a cell phone to see what they do, giving like us intentional tech to see how we react to it? Literally the beginning of 2001. I've never seen that movie, so. Oh, boy. That's fine. Now, I'm just saying. I'm just anyway. So back to. It's missable. When these people were taken uh, from from their native lands, the best case scenario for someone taken by an explorer is someone like, uh, as an example, a, mis- a mosquito woman, M-I-S-K-I-T-O, uh, by the name of Yah Misi. In 1787, a British explorer by the name of John Ledyard brought back this mosquito woman named uh, Yah to England. Yah was then displayed in public and was a major attraction. But luckily, she eventually returned back to the Mosquito Coast and she got to live her life uh, back normal. She was she was only gone for about a year uh, before they brought her back. And that's best case scenario is they bring you back or allow you to go back home. Then there's people who are sort of lost to history. One like the man known only as the Italian man. And the only reason we have that is because he was there's we have like a book of people's names and, and shit that, that were taken and this guy was just noted as the Italian man A T A Y A L. He was taken to Europe in 1628 and is not named in any historical record specifically. He's simply referred to as the Italian man and we do not know much about his life before he was taken. Yes, Alex. It's just crazy to be just imagine like taking somebody away from their entire shit taking him to another world, showing him off as like this example of like the one guy from another place and no one fucking wrote down his fucking name. Yeah. There's like, oh, look at him. Look at him, Jeffrey. He's standing like us. They didn't bother to ask what his fucking name was. Maybe like, they did and they just didn't care. I mean, who knows? That's what I mean. Like, like what the fuck? Yep. I know. For, for my Disney fans out there, just like do some research on Pocahontas real quick. Just like, you know. Yeah, yeah, that movie. <laughs> yeah, just like go research Pocahontas. It wasn't quite like the movie, but it was similar. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the talking tree and everything was there. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. I, that video game on Sega was really hard. Yeah, too. dude. Has weird graphics. It's hard to tell where the hitboxes are. Yeah, I know. The Italian man who simply referred to as such. We don't know much about his life before he was taken, but we can make some inf- inferences based on what we know about the Italian people. The Atayla were uh, are an indigenous people of Taiwan and are a hunter-gatherer society. They lived in small villages in the mountains, and they are known for their fierce independence and their resistance to outside forces. It's likely that the Atayla man was taken, uh, who was taken was captured by Dutch explorers during a raid on his village, and he was likely taken against his will, which means he would have been terrified and confused. These strange people just showing up, speaking a language you've never heard, and just scooping you away. I, that's, that sounds horrifying. 
He would have been brought to a strange land surrounded by strange people who spoke language he didn't understand, who had very different customs. There literally would have been dudes chopping meat with cleavers around him. Like, no yes. joke. <laughs> like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's very, it. there's, yeah. Some, there's some UFO weirdness uh, in, involved in, in the similarities. They'd be telling him stories like, we're all out here floating on these, like, in this ocean on these ships. It's like the same. I don't know. It is. It's, it's fucked crazy. Up. Yeah. I know. Uh, he would have been, you know, forced to live in a different way, and he would have been deprived of his freedom. It's impossible to know for sure what happened to this man after he was taken, though. He may have died in Europe, or he may have been returned to Taiwan. It, if he was returned to Taiwan, though, it's possible that his people would have shunned him. He may have been seen as a traitor or have been forced to live in exile because of how hostile the, the natives were. Uh, and But for many others, there was no hope for returning home, and the practice of kidnapping these people and never returning them home would soon become much more popular and profitable. Another example is obviously, just kind of pointed out, is the uh, obviously enslaved Africans here in the United States. Millions of enslaved Africans were brought to the Americas during this age of discovery, and they were forced to work on plantations and mines, industries. Many of them died of disease, malnutrition, overwork. We, we know how this all works in America. But there was also human zoos happening in America, which we'll get to. Now, the Age of Discovery was coming to a close. And as Europe was on the brink of a sociocultural revolution known as the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Enlightenment was known as the Age of, uh, also known as the Age of Reason and was a period of intellectual and philosophical change in Europe during the 17th and 18th centuries. It was a time when people began to question traditional beliefs and authority and to place more emphasis on reason and evidence, except, of course, if you're kidnapping people from a foreign nation and want to look at them and say, curious. Well, the reason and evidence was all slanted to be very, like, white-centric. That, that earlier, when I said scientific racism, that's exactly what we're referring to. Yeah, where this is the, t this is the time period where people were like, Judging by the brain size and yeah. the shape of a skull, yes. this person is more of an animal than some type of human being, like that kind of stuff. Hey, how come you, how come you have an Austrian accent, man? What's up with that? What are you, what are you insinuating? Yeah, it's just one of those things where it, it was, uh, it, it's around that time that we started to get very white man's burden-y kind of stuff. And if you don't know what that means, it is literally a bunch of white dudes convinced themselves. Yep. That it is the burden of the white man to look after all these lesser races. And yep. we are doing them a favor. And it's it hard for us. Don't you understand? We are bringing like, them a civilization. We're bringing them a civilized world. We're in that weird space right now where it's really starting to take off. And everyone's like, it is God wants this. And more importantly, we're doing them a favor. <laughs> like, it's wild. And this feeling and this idea of scientific racism really didn't end until after World War II in terms of its popular, like, referral. Because that... Did it end? <laughs> Bro, did it end? Those Frollos are still out there, man. Yeah, man. But that's, like, where eugenics comes from. That's where the idea of eugenics of, like, selective breeding and breeding only a particular skin color and eye color because they have the perfect it, It's all fucking bullshit because that's not how humans work. It's not how it works. Right. There are many, uh, anyway, whatever, fucking, there are many other different factors that contributed to the rise of this Enlightenment age. One factor was what everybody knows, the Renaissance, which had led to a renewed interest in classical learning and a, of questioning traditional authority. Another factor was a scientific revolution, which had demonstrated the power of reason and observation to explain the natural world around them. The Enlightenment was also influenced by the Protestant Reformation which had uh, led to a greater emphasis on individual faith and interpretation 
of the Bible. The Reformation had also challenged the authority of the Catholic Church, which was a major source of traditional authority in Europe. Basically, at this point in time, Europe is kind of fracturing in all ways, and independent thought is almost kind of becoming necessary for a lot of people, as the things that they were a part of is breaking, like the Catholic Church breaking in the Reformation, the Revolution, Renaissance. People are becoming individualized. The Enlightenment was very much a time of intellectual ferment. Many new ideas were developed during this period, including the belief of natural rights, the belief in the social contract, which is what Enlightenment thinkers believe that governments are formed by a contract between the people and their ruler. And some of this is like good, like, let's not shit on the whole thing. Some of this is really good. Like, social contract is the concept of like, look. We're all in a society together. We got to work together. And sometimes you give up some stuff, but like it's for a reason. We can't all just be individualist and F everyone. Mm -hmm. That's pretty uh, the the American uh, dream right there. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I mean, that's why I'm presenting this is like, it's a, the great things are coming out of it, but there's a cost of human life for some of it that's happening. Um, This is also the time of the belief in religious tolerance. Uh, where people should just be free to practice their religion or no religion at all, and the belief in progress, where they believe that the society was con- constantly progressing and that it was possible to create a better world through reason and science. So this is all new ideas for people. And some big names that you might know from this point in time that were big contributors are people like Francis Bacon, who was an English philosopher and is considered to be the father of empiricism. He believed that knowledge should be based on observation and experience rather than on tradition and authority. And you've got John Locke, not from, not from the Yo, show. I love John Locke. I'm not going to yeah. lie. One of my favorite philosophers. Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> I played Howard Hughes in The Rocketeer. <laughs> uh, Locke was an English philosopher who is considered to be one of the most important Enlightenment thinkers. He developed the theory of natural rights, and he argued that governments should be based on the consent of the governed. Uh, then two more. You got Montesquieu, which I think is how you say it. Montesquieu? Yeah. Montesquieu was a French philosopher who's considered to be one of the founders of modern political science. He yep. argued that the best way to prevent tyranny is to divide power between the executive, legislative, and judicial what? branches of government. What country would do that? And that can't be corrupted that way. No way. Nope. What wacky ass country would take that on? That sounds crazy. And then uh, the last one I'm going to talk about is Voltaire. Voltaire was a French writer and philosopher who was a leading critic of religious intolerance and superstition, and he was also a strong advocate for freedom of speech and thought. If all this is ringing true to you, literally the founding fathers of this this country were like, these guys are, they got good ass ideas. Straight up just copied them. Used them, yeah. Because they're good ideas. They're not, you know, this is some like real thought stuff and Fingers crossed it keeps this country going. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers- <laughs> <laughs> um, what's funny, a little personal younger Mathis note on Voltaire. When I was in 10th grade, so I was like 14, I had to write a book report. We had to pick a, a historical figure to write about. I didn't do it. Uh, I made up a book, and I made up a book about Voltaire. Gotta be plus. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love that your teacher just didn't even look. Didn't even bother to look. This is like 2000 and... Two. That's so cynical. It's so it's such a cynical plan. It's so funny that it worked. I know. I just like, I don't want to read a book. <laughs> he probably, you, he probably you think about didn't, it. Yeah. I still had to like. I still taught myself about the guy, but just like yeah. through other means. I was like, I still learned. Damn it! I didn't really do anything. I just did the work different. Anyway, uh, the Enlightenment was a period of great intellectual and philosophical uh, philosophical change, and it led to the new development of new ideas in government, society, and the individual. To give you again an idea of wh- what this world is currently like. 
as we dive into the first phase of human zoos known as ethnological shows. Mm, What a great title, dude. By the 18th century, public exhibits known as ethnological shows began surfacing across all of Europe. Initially designed to showcase the customs and ways of life of non-European societies, these shows gradually incorporated live individuals because initially they didn't start like that. They had like people who were educated just trying to like, you know, you go through like Salem in Massachusetts and everybody's like dressed up like old timey people. Yeah. Like Colonial Williamsburg. That's kind of how I think of it in in that way, but probably way more racist in the 18th century. Sure. I mean, that's just a given. Yeah, of course. I I wonder. So we are talking like throw them in a cage. This is not yet. We're getting there. The vibe of this is more like curiosity and education. We just returned from the dark heart of Africa. And this is my manservant. I picked up along the way. Come. No, not even your experiences. No, not even ethnological shows didn't even have live people yet. It was just other people were so under people were so understimulated at this time that just hearing about it was enough. Yeah, they were like, Whoa. oh, never mind. So this is like the explorers clubs in the movies where like the dudes are all sitting around with their hats and they're like, where were you, Charles? Like I went on a seven year excursion. Yeah, yeah. I know okay. it's I know it's hard to imagine now because we just are connected to everybody at all times always, which is definitely not a bad thing for the human mind. Uh, but at this time, think about it. Like 18th century, you know, like your neighbor, you know what everybody's poop smells like. You all poop into buckets and dump them down drains. You've never been outside of probably the city, maybe the country. And now you're learning about people who are across this huge blue ocean. That's like, you can't imagine it because it feels infinite to you. And these people have gone and come back and they're telling you these crazy stories. It sounds fantastical. I imagine it sounds like a fantasy to them. It's probably interesting as fuck. Yeah. It's probably similar to how we try to think about aliens. You know what I mean? Like, like, you're telling me this shit's real? What the fuck? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, But, you know, as time went on, they decided, you know what would be better than us doing this? Let's bring actual people from across and from these places and have them show you what it's like. The motive was twofold. To cater to public curiosity and the world at the time and to emphasize the perceived superiority of European civilization over primitive cultures across the ocean. These live displays often involved individuals performing traditional rituals, dances, crafts, set against the backdrop of mock-ups of their native habitats. So you're walking in, like, to a tent, and just behind this small, like, wooden fence or gate, there stands, like, an 1800s diorama of what Africa looked like from the best of their memory. And then an actual person from Africa being forced to dance or craft. And then just white people coming by being like, oh, my God. Oh, it looks so human. Like, that's what it was like. Like, that's what these were ethnological shows were. It's crazy to me. It's crazy because the thought pattern today is, like, still the same in a lot of ways about, like, kind of like, is there a delicate way to approach culture? if you're from outside the culture without kind of like appropriating or colonizing the culture in some way, no idea. But like, you know, in the same way that people like white people without anybody else around are getting excited, like, Oh, let's try some Thai food. I hope it's not too spicy. You know, it's still the same exact, like stupid ass, like little curious thought, but we're just, we're just so mask off because it's like 1600s and it's just still so, you know, easy to be a fucking psychopath in real life, but but that yeah. also comes from the the like 
I have to believe that, that, you know, like Mathis was saying, the curiosity of the human spirit and the idea of wanting to learn more. There's nothing wrong with being curious about, say, Thai food and thinking it's going to be spicy, because if that's what you've heard, that's what you've heard. And, right, you right, right. and, and that's the same thing here. You know, it, there's there is very little cultural difference between like Hank in Minnesota and Lord Reginald Wincott of you know the 1600s like there's it's because they didn't see the world they didn't explore they don't know anything and it's the same vibe like the science has proven again and again same with education that the more you travel like if you take Mm -hmm. your kids to go to williamsburg or to like just go to florida go to disney the more you travel with your family the more you see stuff the more you explore the world the more your eyes open and the more you're willing to try new things and do new things and experience new things and you're not like oh i wonder you're yeah. like oh yeah you're let's telling go. me you're telling me there's ketchup mustard ranch and now there's <laughs> something called thai sweet chili sauce <laughs> yeah, get out of here Dude, one of the greatest <laughs> gifts of, of being a, like a, a youtube influencer quote unquote in the gaming world back in the day was being flown around all the places and just getting to experience the world when i never would have been able to and it really did change how i saw things like going out to europe and all these other like in the countries within and then other other just it changes things so you're like oh people are just people no matter where you go yeah they live differently yeah their culture is kind of cool but when you sit down you're having a beer with somebody from another country you've never met before and you're hitting like similar like uh, thoughts and like likes and dislikes. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, everybody's just a person, dude. Let me just like say this: hiking up a mountain to go to Machu Picchu. Yeah, I can imagine with a bunch of people from all over the world, led by tour guides who like you know are do this for a living, and you're all like in the jungle. You real quick. All those differences between you disappear real effing quick. You become best friends real fast. And I feel like that'd be true for even a lot of people who are very hateful. If their life was on the line, you would realize, oh shit, wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's the same thing. Like when people are like, you know what? I don't like the gays. They're trying to t- destroy my kids. Yep. And then like they have a great, a, a great, a gay grandkid. And so they're like, you know what? We should really look out for them because like you are treating them terribly. Yeah, yeah, weird how experience changes people. Shocking, right, even. Dude, when people, like, because my full full disclosure, my brother is gay. Uh, but, like, people who are like, it's a choice, that only tells me that at some point for you struggled with liking dick. And that just means you probably are, like, I never struggled with being, like, indoctrinated by the gays. I always like girls, but, like. I mean, fashion wise, I feel it. I, well, that's fine. That's better taste than I do. It could happen. It could happen by accident. You know, you never know. You might be looking at some dude and you're sitting there and you're like, oh, this dude's kind of sexy. Wait, 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 well, wait, Sexuality wait. is a scale, and that can, for sure. that could ruin you for the rest of your life if you're not like ready to understand, if you're not just like ready to understand how the world is. You know what I mean? But also culturally, if there are people around you who very much are like, if you do that, you're out of the house. You're dead to me. Like that can make you. It's terrifying. I very much understand why someone would shun a part of themselves to like have the comfort. I mean, look, people stay in marriages that suck constantly because it's safe. Even if it hurts, it's safe. There is a difference. And this is something I had to learn. And, uh, you know, there is a difference between happiness and being content. Mm -hmm. You can be content and comfortable in a miserable, abusive situation because it's all you know. But being happy is wholly different. And the thing you learn is being happy the first time in a long time is horrifying because it's so uncomfortable. But 
that's just life, man. Mathis, I want to give you like a hug. I feel like you went on a fucking journey, bro. Yeah, I want to be like, you dude, know, hell you don't yeah. Know my, man, right. my, life, my life was uh, <laughs> all right. That's what happens when you take a vacation to the land of Humansus. When you learn that there was, Which, by the way, according to their tourism yeah, board, yeah. is great now. They're all it's about this. Fine. They're great. all about this these days. This yeah. is a yeah. little tease for Tale of the Crypt for Mathis, I guess, at some point, a little bit. No, there's a, there's a particularly <laughs> close relative that I lived with that uh, apparently at some point thought about killing everybody and then themselves. Jesus Christ. <laughs> with a knife i really need to get i'm like i'm gonna fly out there and just like hey man, it's good it's all good dude <laughs> we just want the mathis we just want the mathis zoo i'm in yeah the math yeah the, there's a lot my my life is uh tumultuous but it's great now and i'm i'm so happy trust me i'm not in a human zoo well kind of am but by choice and that's okay that is yeah all right <laughs> but that's okay, okay. Hey, well as long as he says it's okay yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> these people that were being put on display were being presented as savage beings offering a stark contrast to european civilization and reinforcing notions of racial hierarchy again something that was growing getting more and more popular as the years went on unfortunately we don't really know who the first person to create an ethnographic show in the 18th century uh was we just it's not definitively known but there are a few individuals who are often credited with being part of the process or pioneers of this type of entertainment. One of the most famous and early ethnological showmen was a man by the name of George Hunter, an English showman who is credited with bringing the first group of Otahitans, now known as Tahitans, uh, Tahitians rather, to London in 1769. His show was a monumental success and it helped to spark a growing interest in exotic cultures among the British public. And another early ethnological showman was a man by the name of Charles Byrne, who started as an Irish giant sideshow, who was exhibited in London and Dublin for over 20 years. Time out. You mean like an Irish tall man? Correct. He was a man born in Ireland who was very tall. It didn't take much, dude. Like, a really fat person would have been very, like, fascinating for people to look at. I just want to say shout out to the New York Fat Man's Club. There you go. Uh, you had to be 200. It, look, Go look up the photos. It's hilarious. There's like 200 pounds plus. It's just a bunch <laughs> of dudes all broing out. Yes. Wild. Shout out to my lard boys. We out here. <laughs> my Chili Verde boys. And Burns' sideshow of being a, just an Irish giant was a huge success and also helped to popularize the idea of exhibiting people from different cultures as curiosities. And these are just two of many examples who helped to popularize all this stuff. But again, the first person to do it is kind of lost to history a little bit. As far as the mid-19th century saw, the metamorphosis of these ethnological shows turn into full-blown human zoos. Karl Hagenbach, a German merchant of wild animals and later a showman, played a seminal role in this transition from ethnological to zoo how formal are we how formal are we talking let's 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 talk about let's find out okay let's let's talk about it he realized that the public's fascination with exotic cultures could be monetized because capitalism makes everything better uh by displaying humans alongside animals you know bang for your buck you get a you get a person from africa and you get to look at like a tiger isn't that neat i mean it's much easier to do when you don't view (laughs) People as people. If I legitimately thought, yeah, if I legitimately thought that African people weren't humans, I could see how that could be a good deal. 
His vision, his grand vision, led to the procurement of individuals from ethnic groups such as Nubians, Inuits, and Samoans, and their display in contrived, natural, quote-unquote, environments. But who is Carl Hagenbeck? Well, he was born in 1844. A young boy by the name of Carl Hagenbeck is born in Hamburg, Germany. His father is a fishmonger who runs a side business buying, showing, and selling exotic animals. So when Carl is 14, his father gives him some seals and a polar bear. Like any 14-year-old would get, dude. How would you give that to a 14-year-old? Happy birthday, son. Here's some seals what year and was a it polar though? bear. What year was it, though? Uh, 1844. So it's like he's like middle age, basically, then. Though. We're 20 years away from the Civil War, basically. A little less. So this is like basically his 30th birthday. Yeah, yeah. For Carl, yeah, at this age. Yeah, because I think he died when he was 69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm just here to entertain everybody. Yeah, I'm entertained. I'm entertained. Good, good. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Are you not entertained? We here at Illuminati love weird stuff, but uh, not when it comes to sleep. I am an awful, a notoriously awful sleeper. And when it's time to turn in for the night, we don't want any funny business, dude. That's why we're huge fans of Ghostbed. Thank you to Ghostbed for sponsoring today's episode. They're ultra comfortable, supportive mattresses. mean, you sleep right through the night, no matter what you listen to before bed. With summer upon us, we also love that all of Ghostbed's mattresses use signature and patented cooling materials that draw heat from your body. So you're not waking up in a pool of your own sweat. Let me tell you, even just the pillow I've touched and it's like shocked me with how cold it is. I don't flip my pillow anymore. The bed is just like that. The folks at Ghostbed have been making mattresses now for over 20 years and they're a family owned business that really puts their heart in every bed they make. They're giving you a 101 night sleep trial along with free shipping and returns so you can be confident about your purchase. Plus, most mattresses ship within 24 hours, so you'll get your new bed quickly. Head to GhostBed.com to talk to a sleep expert and learn more. And for a limited time, just use code CHILL and you get 40% off site-wide. That's GhostBed.com and code CHILL for 40% off site-wide. Thank you again to GhostBed for sponsoring today's episode. Are you not entertained? Mathis. He didn't give them to, to Carl as a pet, though. He, what he wanted them to do with them is get in on the animal trade. Go make some money. Do some stuff with this with these animals. And he did. He quickly takes up the animal trade and his collection of animal grows until the seal he and needs, polar bear show. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, until his collection of animals grows until he needs large cages, uh, large buildings to keep them in, rather. And we're looking like to me, this is like Tiger King. Yeah, it's like it's like DIY vibes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh Carl's passion, if you want to call it that, for animals leads him to travel the world, accompanying, accompanying hunters and explorers on trips to jungle regions and snow-clad mountains. So at least he actually went out into the world. Yeah, he genuinely enjoyed his work. Uh, he captures animals in nearly every continent that he would try and visit in the world, oh, and his collection becomes one of the largest in Europe at the time. And by 1865, Carl opens his first animal trading business. He quickly becomes one of the most successful animal dealers in Europe, supplying animals to zoos, circuses, and private collectors all over the world. And then he decided to upgrade to the most dangerous collection. Obviously, Carl was not content over time to simply trade in animals. He has a vision for a new kind of zoo. Human one that is more natural and humane. Human In 1874, <laughs> yeah, humansus. In 1874, he opens his first ethnographic show. 
The show features people from different cultures who are dressed in their traditional clothing and who perform dances and songs from their homeland. And of course, the show is a huge success and be- makes it just a bigger idea for him to jump on. So crazy that you, the show doesn't just fall apart as m- immediately when you clap eyes on them and you just like empathize with them that they're just standing there on the other side of this thing doing a show for you for hours and hours. The, the mental detachment to make these things, they were just genuinely not viewed as a human. It's just so insane It's to fucked me. up. It's fucked like what, up. Like, it, it's one thing, you know, well, I mean, look, it's one thing to be here on my island and I'm hearing about these people with, like, different color skin and it's hard for me to conceptualize what that is. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, you're just telling me, like, imaginary stuff, but then I see them and they are just clearly humans. You know what I mean? Like, I just, it's so crazy to me that people would go to the zoo and be like, wow. But, but again, we see sort of a more modern sort of cultural thing of, yeah, it's just a person. But at the time, you have to imagine yeah. the way they dressed and the way that, like, they stylized their body or their hair was or, like, the cultural things that made them different and unique were seen as, like, totally out there, bizarre, insane. It's just wild how fickle the tolerance was. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It's just yeah. wild, yeah. like... Like, even now, like, wearing a weird outfit is, like, not enough, almost, to, like, single you. Well, you know, I'm not going to Well, it depends that. on where you live. Yeah, that's true. It's just, like, goddamn, like, it's so Cro-Magnon. It's so old. It is. Absolutely. It's so embarrassing as a human. But, I mean, like, if you see, a great example is, in, like, modern times, for most people, if you see someone that has tattoos covering their face, it's a little jarring. People, a lot of people are just like, whoa. They don't know what that means. They don't know. Is that a bad thing? What, what's this person trying to say? Yeah, it's instinctual. Yeah. It's like you're afraid of it because diff- it literally looks different. So your body is like. Absolutely. Yeah. We, our brains are very wired to immediately take note of things that are different in an almost like anxious state. You just be, the, the thing you have to do is you have to, and it takes practice, is like recognize that feeling and then just think to yourself, it's just a dude with a tattoo it's fine and like just move on with your day and you have to be like whatever okay yeah i it's just it's just wild to me that that was like where these guys as a as an entire civilization for hundreds of years just failed completely it was this zoo this the ethnographic show in 1874 that he puts on that really kind of explodes the human zoo movement from this point and in 1907 just about 20 years later 30 years later carl opens his most famous zoo the Tier Park Hagenbeck. The zoo is designed to be a more natural environment for the animals. The enclosures are open and unbarred, which is, <laughs> I, God, that would be so scary to go and just like a viewer with like lions on the other side with no protection whatsoever. And the animals were allowed to roam entirely freely throughout the zoo. Like that was just how it went. It was fine. And uh, surprise, surprise, the zoo was a massive success. And it's considered to be the first, quote unquote, modern zoo that would then kind of take shape a little bit more as as the years went on. His life was a lifelong pursuit of his passion for animals. He was a pioneer in the field of animal husbandry and zoo design, and he did help raise awareness of different cultures as terribly as he did it. He was also a controversial figure, obviously, for the shows that he put on, often criticized for being exploitative and dehumanizing. However, he is also credited with helping to popularize the idea of animal rights. Uh, so, again, a muddy figure in the world. Uh, it would be good if he wanted, you know, human rights as well. Are we talking like vertical bars 
with like concrete slab on the top and bottom at this point for yeah sort of not not quite we're get, we're real close though he's more like putting on shows at this point yeah because the animals are roaming free at this point still no bars quite it's yet. just like a weird little yard of weirdness yeah exactly like a petting zoo kinda yeah oh. a dangerous gross petting zoo i have to imagine that like they would mess with the animals too like i i imagine that like if it was like, a lion smack it they'd yank out teeth yeah. Or they declaw like I'm sure it was brutal. I'm, I don't think it was like, and then everyone was happy, and the lions and the birds were best friends. I don't think any of that happened. No, 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 that did not happen. Sadly, in April 14th, 1913, in Hamburg, Germany, 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 Carl died at the age of 68 years old. I misremembered by nice, you. damn it, no, 68, nice, but you know, nice. You could just one more year, dude, homie. One of the most, one of the earliest and most notorious victims of the practice of kidnapping and displaying for these ethnological shows was somebody by the name of Sarji Bartman, better known as Hot and Tot Venus, which is what? the nickname. Sorry, what? The nickname they gave her, Hot and Tot Venus. Codename Venus, real name Bartman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bartman, a co- uh, koi koi woman from South Africa was kidnapped and exhibited in London and Paris in the early 19th century for one really specific reason. She had a big ass. Yeah, she was hot and taut. No, we get it. Yeah, we get it. She, yeah, no, not see. Now you understand why the name that they chose for her? I mean, I don't understand it, but I get they it. They put her on display due largely to her quote-unquote large buttocks. Oh, my God. A characteristic feature they saw in her ethnic group. Dude. So dumb. They're just, like, sitting in the corner. Ooh, she caked up. Want to put it on display? Hell yeah. Five dollars. Throw her out there. That's what they were doing. That is so like, it's funny because it's, it's like you couldn't have Instagram or something like that to in this time period, right? Like you couldn't do that, but this is that it's just so like an analogy version that it's like disgusting. Like there's no mm-hmm. like occlusion of like technology and windows and pictures. You're just directly capitalizing by asking people money to go see somebody's ass that's so fucking crazy correct yeah and they touted her they touted her as a scientific curiosity meanwhile she's being exploited objectified and completely stripped of her dignity just like treated like an it's fucking horrifying the concept of human zoos reached its appalling zenith at the 1889 paris exposition universelle under the shadow of the now newly erected eiffel tower a spectacle unfolded that left an indelible mark on the annals of history. It's estimated that 32 million people visited this show in 1889, to give you an idea. Alongside technological marvels and architectural wonders, the expo showcased a quote-unquote Negro village, a human zoo that housed 400 indigenous people taken from Africa. 400! Put in a village that they built that is, like I said, a diorama of what it was, of what they lived in. It's literally Colonial Williamsburg, but like with slaves. Correct. Yeah. It is, it is truly bizarre that the act is disgusting. The creation of it is disgusting. The idea behind it is disgusting. But at the time, this probably educated more people. Mm hmm. Not correctly. No, not like, at all. I teach them what life was really like, but for the first time ever, people experienced something outside their own culture, and it probably blew their minds. And yeah, I don't. I mean, like, 
it's dark. Like it is truly messed up. The idea of white and European civilization being superior is just was like baked fucking in the core it's of this baked, shit. It's so baked. Yeah, 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 in. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it is. It's nuts. It, it is one of those things where it is so messed up and truly tragic. And at the same time, it is something that's happened throughout history. Like it isn't just like mm-hmm. a 16th, 17th, 18th century European thing or American thing or whatever. With human trafficking happening now. Still. Yeah, but I mean, like it happened ancient Rome. It happened in the parts of, you know, the far east. It happened even in Africa. It happened everywhere. It happened in the Middle East. It happened everywhere where this kind of thing you know, if you saw someone as less than you and they were a curiosity, you'd like round them up and like, hey, look at these weirdos. And it's just such a bizarre human condition thing where we're like, we want to learn from you, but not like <laughs> learn, learn. We just want to watch you for a while. It's and the same as making like a movie that's about it being like a race's like, like, like doing like a black movie right it's still kind of crass in the same way it's just baked into our society now so much further that it's like we don't even think about it but it's like there's normal movies and then there's like weird black movies that are interesting because they're different you know what i mean like Like black exploitation happened 60s 70s 80s it's it's, i'm just saying like in general like that's just one example of like a million different things like that like there's like a restaurant and then there's a Mexican restaurant. You know what yes. I mean? Like, yeah. like it's all this, this idea, but it just, this version is like, somebody was like, the rawest, most, somebody was like, I want to know about other civilizations. And then they were like, I get it. I put it together. I make, so you can see it, you know, like do your dance, do your yeah. dance. But like, also ridiculous. Like all the things that we, you guys just talked about, really the big, like pull the mask back villain of who's responsible is just a, you know, dollar dollar bill, y'all. It's yeah, all it about is. greed and money. And it has Always. Been, truly, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone who did any of this really even cared about like the people or the culture or what they did. They were just like, oh my God. If they did, this was not how they would, this is not how it would have went down if anybody gave a thought. Yeah, you don't get to care about somebody you kidnapped. They would have wrote the name down of the guy from the one tribe. Yeah, people saw that the public was interested and they're like, oh, I can make a buck on this. And that's literally it. It isn't about like cultural exchange. Or I'm going to teach you about the. No one gave a shit. It was about making. It's always been that way. It's always been about making money or, you know, go back far enough. It was always about like making seashells. It's like whatever the hell people could do. They do it. It's commoditizing. You're commoditizing something that shouldn't be. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about sh- I mean, it shouldn't or what. It's just like you're commoditizing something that is like morally wrong kind of weird yes absolutely yeah and i mean you think about carl at age of 14 was getting introduced to capitalism via trading of live animals like that was just like his whole life from childhood on that's all he ever knew and so he had the foundation to that like well i mean like it's no different than trading a sheep you know what i mean like it's already baked in how to buy and sell and so he's like if i can do that but with people i'll make a fortune that's literally yeah and visitors from all over the world are expected to attend this Exposition Universelle. And the city is gearing up for a major event. Like, this is a huge deal. The exposition is being held on Champ de Mont, a large field near the Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower uh, had just been built for the exposition. And it was now, at the time, the tallest structure in the world. Uh, it was a huge draw. The exposition is a showcase, or rather was a showcase, 
for the latest science, technology, and industry. There are exhibits on everything from electricity to transportation. Visitors can see the latest automobiles, trains, steamships. They can also learn about new inventions such as the telephone and the typewriter. The exposition is also a celebration of art and culture. Exhibits on paintings, sculptures, and architecture. They see works by famous artists such as Claude Monet and Auguste Rodin. Rodin? Rodin. 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 They can uh, also see examples of new architectural styles such as Art Nouveau. Or nouveau. 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 Art Nouveau is what it means. Art Nouveau. 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 The exposition was a major success. As we said, around 32 million people attended it, making it one of the most popular World's Fairs ever held. Exhibitions. The exposition is, was a showcase in the progress that France has made in the years since the French Revolution, and it is a, also a major tourist attraction that helps to promote France as a leading nation. So it's just France's way of saying, look how big my dick it's is. It's a World's Fair. People the, have, the, yeah, look a, of it, a, the look of it still permeates French culture. The French, the French world, like the Eiffel Tower is like still central to the like national image of France. It's crazy. And it's from this moment, we're going to use this as our jump or a jumping point or a bridge to America. Because one of the individuals that was being displayed here at the exposition was a man by the name of Ota Benga, a Congolese man who was later exhibited at the infamous Bronx Zoo in New York City in 1906. Dude, there was Jesus. just at the Bronx Zoo, there was a dude. Good Benga. That's the thing that's so weird. It's like, it's such a great uh, way to educate somebody about something from an empirical perspective of like, there is lions, right? Like, yep. there, is, there is a new piece of technology and it looks like this. Here it is, right? But something like a person, something cultural, something like that, it's so weird to, to try and explain it couch. It's like the opposite of going to another country. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you're reinforcing uh, the fact that you have control over like the image of these other people. It's wild. Otabenga was a, uh, I'll do my best, Mbuti Pygmy man who was born in the Ituri Forest in what is now the Demo- uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. He was captured by slave traders in 1904 taken, and taken back to the United States. I'm sorry, what year was this? 1904. 19? Cool. So cool. So cool. So less than 150 years ago, there was a dude on display in the Bronx Zoo. Correct. Correct. Nope. Uh, he was sold to Samuel Phillips Werner, an anthropologist who was exhibiting people from different cultures as curiosities. Here, Benga was made to share a cage with an orangutan. A brutal attempt to emphasize his supposed quote-unquote simian features and perpetuate the notion of racial inferiority. Holy shit. Now we're at the point we're just putting dude in a cage with an orangutan and just being like, look at it's, it's straight up Bioshock shit. It's like environmental storytelling yep. about look how racist this society is. Right, 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 right. But like, let's take a moment <laughs> to just focus on two things here. One, 19. So this is post Civil War. Correct. Two, this is New York in the supposed enlightened North. So just like let those two points sink in. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, no. This is yeah. like not that long ago. People, yeah, it's crazy. This is great grandma territory. This uh, maybe great great grandma territory. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how old you After, are. Yeah. yeah, my my great grandmother was. Well, she was born a few years later. Yeah, same. Mine oh, was yeah, born same. in 1911. Yeah, so he was put in a cage, displayed with an orangutan, and then he was forced to perform tricks for the amusement of the public when he was put out to display. He was also exhibited at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Dude. So you know he was making the rounds, dude. 
Did he at least have like a house? No, he was kept like a goddamn slave, basically. Seriously, in the nineteen in in the in the twentieth century, he yeah man it is it will, yeah it's not a good time. He they tried at the end to like integrate him into society, and guess that didn't really go well. Um, but you'll see. You don't you don't say. <laughs> yeah, no shit. In 1906, Otabenga was taken to Lynchburg, Virginia, where he was placed. Uh, where he was placed in the care of Reverend James E. Gordon, the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church. Gordon's hope was to educate Otabenga and then help him to adjust to life in America, which I can't tell if it's like a, he's trying to do something good. Like he's, he basically was like placed under the cares, what it like they feel like kind of given to him. And he's like, I guess trying to help him adjust to the world he lives in now, but it's kind of just too much of it's It's too... It's too different. You can't just pull this man out of the jungles and say, welcome to Lynchburg, Virginia. You're going to love it here. Otabenga attended school and did eventually learn to speak English, and he went on to become a member of the church. But he wasn't happy in Lynchburg at all. He He missed his home, and he missed his people, and he felt incredibly isolated. And of course, he was heavily discriminated against. He was literally the only one of him in an entire country. Yep. In a massive, like, in all of North America. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. the loneliness. What the hell did they I say know. to him? You're trying to take my job. They're trying to take our job. Yeah, sideshow jobs, I guess. I don't really know. There's nothing being taken. Regardless, Odebengo was massively depressed, deserved to go home, couldn't get home. Nobody would bring him home. And eventually, in 1916, Odebengo decided to commit suicide and took Jesus. his own life by shooting himself in the head. Dude. It's just like, that's the reality of what you do to these people. You can't just integrate them into society and be like, now you're American. No, that's just not how it works. I mean, it's a human being with human emotions and human feelings. Well, they probably shouldn't have kept him in a zoo for, uh, yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of the spark where the story of us human zoos, I'm kind of going to start. We know that America's favorite preferred narrative of American history is filled with triumphant tales of innovation, progress. There exist chapters, too, though, that obviously give us pause, which is what we're coming face to face with, the ghost of human zoos. One such chapter on this human zoo history, in the land of the free, the seeds of disconcerting spectacle were sown not in the realm of zoological gardens, but on the stage of minstrelessly, minstrelessly, minstrels, minstrels, uh, the wildly popular night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the wildly popular 19th century entertainment from the caricatured African-American people for the amusement of white audiences. This stage, mocking the most vulnerable, laid the foundation for a spectacle that would twist the American dream into a nightmare for some of its most unwilling participants. Yes, this is the like uh, blackface painted lip kind of like song and dance. As the century turned, the notion of performing otherness morphed into a more disturbing spectacle. At the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, a momentous event that symbolized America's ascendancy on the global stage, a curious display stood alongside the technological marvels and architectural wonders. The exposition housed a Dahomey village, an exhibit featuring individuals from present-day Benin in Africa. Here, attendees could observe the primitive customs and lifestyles of the Dahomeyan people, a spectacle eerily reminiscent of the human zoos burgeoning across Europe at the time. So fucked. So even in the 1800s, we were doing it. We were right, right behind, you know, slavery didn't work out. 
human zoos? Might as well give it a shot, see if it'll work. It was a few years later that the specter of human zoos would emerge in its most grotesque form. The year would be 1906 in the place New York's Bronx Zoo, a landmark of American zoological achievement. Yet within the confines of the monkey house, an appalling spectacle unfolded. One Otabenga, as we spoke, the young man from, Co- from the Congo, where he was being displayed with the orangutan. He had arrived in the U.S. as part of an exhibition from the world's 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis and was curated by Samuel P. Werner, as we covered. Following the fair, while the others returned to Congo, they kept Benga. They literally brought everybody back to the Congo except for Benga, and then Why? that's how we got to the Bronx Zoo Why? with Werner. The zoo director, William Hornaday, saw in Benga an opportunity to attract larger crowds, deciding to put the young man on display as an exemplar of the lower, quote-unquote, stage of evolution. <laughs> yeah, no, that sucks to hear, right? It, it, like, again, it's so, it's so disheartening to know that during this time there were people, who, and you mentioned four of them earlier, but even Darwin, just the idea of evolution and science coming forward yep. and being like, look at this amazing process in life and how things, like, look at the Galapagos Islands and all these creatures that exist only there, like, that kind of stuff. And then someone coming along and being like, weird how that relates to society and humans and how we're just far superior. Like it's, I hate when science is warped like that. It makes me so angry, but like, whatever, I'll just, let's continue. Yep. It's the worst. The exhibition of Oda Benga did spark controversy. Again, we are post slavery United States. Like this is, this is what's happening. African-American community leaders led by Reverend James H. Gordon launched a series of protests, rightfully deeming the exhibit as a horrific affront to human dignity. This led to Benga being released from the zoo, and that's how Gordon got his care. So he was, he was the one fighting for his freedom. Then that's how the Reverend kind of took him in. That's when Benga moved, into, moved to go live in Virginia. Uh, he actually got employed at a tobacco factory, and it was uh, even planning a return to, to the Congo at some point. He was trying to get home. But then the outbreak of World War I happened, which dashed God, all damn. of his hopes as passenger ship travel was completely halted. Can't believe this was happening at that same time as that. There's also like a little bit of like American, I don't want to call it tradition, but there's something about this that still is around today. Like a great example, just in the modern ethos, when people say, hey, if you don't want to have a kid, don't get an abortion. Instead, have that kid and then like, you know, give it up or something. There's a weird thing that we have where we will fight for something to the point of then having to care about it after we've succeeded. You know what I mean? Like for this guy, he's got to be free. We got to help him. He's free. All right, cool. And then it's at that point, it's someone else's problem. And I feel like that's like an American thing we do. Well, the guy who was fighting for his freedom is the one who took him in. That's, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's the idea of okay. he rallied, people rallied behind this cause. And then once it was done, it isn't like, all right, well, what do we do about helping this dude? Like, what do we No, He's clearly going through stuff. He killed himself. He's clearly having issues. No, no, no. no. And same thing with like a small child. Like, we got to fight to give this kid a chance. But like, you know, F it. Once, once the kid is born, like, I don't care anymore. No, 100%. Like, he's, it'll, be, it'll be fine. And it's this weird thing, and I don't know if it's in the world, but it's very American, where we, like, are passionate to a point. 
you know, like to a point. Because Poland is going through an abortion abortion thing as well. It's this idea, yeah, that like you care about something so much that you're forced to care about it, but you don't actually care about it because, again, once the baby is born, then you must be for you know free healthcare for children and you know discounts in schools or free schooling. But no, you're not against any. You no, you want to make all that stuff even worse. So like, why why even let people have? You're just making a stupid workforce, is what you're. Producing. I mean, environment. Oh, like it's just like anything it's the it's a very and and i don't want to put it on the world because i only you know live in america but i'll say i'll let you write some comments or whatever out there or on reddit or on youtube or whatever but just saying like yeah it's always disappointing when people like you see they fought for this guy and then publicly kind of like whatever happens to him happens to him like we did our job it's so it's the thing you always do the cognitive dissonance the the separation it always happens because you start to you start to it starts to become about you instead of about them period yeah because at the end of the day you probably tell yourself you did the right thing it made me feel good but the work the work literally but the real work is only just starting if you want to get him home like that's you can't just yeah yeah well, yeah people but yeah the cognitive it becomes something they just attach to there's a single goal they need to achieve it's easy to swallow, it's easy to rationalize, and it's binary. You succeed or right. you don't. And if you, don't, if you succeed, you don't think about all the parts after that, you're done. You got the happy chemicals, they hit your brain, you did a good thing in your mind, you can go to bed, you know, saying a prayer to God tonight. It's fairytale mentality of, and they lived happily ever after. What was that? We don't give a damn. They just got together and lived happily ever after. Like, that's it. Pocahontas and John Smith they got their happy great ending. Life. And what was that ending? We don't <laughs> care because it was happy. Yeah. Well, the ending is put a bullet in his head about ten years later. So you know, Jesus. Throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries, human zoos prolifer- pro- proliferated across Europe and North America. They became massively lucrative businesses with exhibitors like Hagenbeck making their fortunes out of the public's fascination with otherness. Native people were uprooted from their homelands under false pretenses, often lured with promises of wealth and transported to foreign lands to be displayed like animals. They just tell them, like, we're going to make you rich. You're going to be rich. You're going to come, you know, you come home laden with, with, you know, riches. And then they were thrown in a cage. Dude, whoa, time out. Uh, I don't know. Just go research Dubai real quick. Oh, yeah. Just go research all the construction projects that were for FIFA, dude. And they invited dude. all those people to like, come work for us, and then you saw the conditions. Promising so Holy much, shit. They're living in a concentration it's still camp, like that. Yeah. Like it's a lot. They shit in a yeah. hole, and they no one comes to clean. Like it's just, uh, it's horrifying. There's a there's a couple there's a couple like really really big articles about that. It's so insane. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's horrifying. Educate yourself for sure. Uh, another person uh, that was taken was a woman by the name of Maria Bartola, an Aztec woman exhibited by who else? American showman P.T. Barnum. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Marketed as the Aztec Lilliputian. Lilliputian. Oh, boy. The Aztec Lilliputian. Bartola's short stature and non-European features were presented as exotic attractions. Her life in the limelight was one of constant scrutiny, bereft of privacy and respect. And the legacy of human zoos in America is a haunting one. Well, on one hand, they fed into the worst prejudices of the time, reinforcing racial stereotypes, justifying colonialism, and eroding the very values that America pretended to seek to uphold. And on the other, they sparked discussions about human rights and dignity that marked the beginning of a slow but necessary crawl toward change in public consciousness. 
The, respo- the response to Oda Benga's exhibition, led by African-American leaders, was a crucial juncture in this shift. They challenged the dehumanization, questioned the pseudoscience backing it, and fought for Benga's freedom. This resistance set the stage for a broader recognition of racial equality in the decades to follow. And by the mid-20th century, the unsettling reality of human zoos began to seep into public consciousness. Intellectuals and activists increasingly denounced them as abhorrent and inhumane. The final disconcerting episode unfolded in 1958. Jesus fucking Christ. 1958. I had so much family alive during that time. My mom was alive. Yeah, my parents as well. Just like, uh, just a real quick kind of like reminder to this was in belgium by the way is in brussels not u.s but still yeah but still. just like a real quick reminder when people think like how how can people think such horrible things uh this you know people who were yelling at young black girls trying to like integrate into schools are still alive like just you know think about that real quick and just yep. like soak it up and it's just and some of those people are still in government it's just crazy that belgium's been around belgium's been around so much longer like that area, like it's been settled and civilized. You think it is, but it's still not that far behind us. And people were like, how are people still racist, brother? Turn around and the history is right there, down one block. Like it's not far. Uh, yeah, the final disconcerting episode of all this was in 1958 at the World's Fair in Brussels. Here, Belgium attempted to demonstrate its benevolent colonization of Congo by displaying Congolese men, women, and children behind fences. Oh. The public, was outraged at this. And along with the Congolese people's revolt against their treatment, signaled the beginning of the end of human zoos. Good for you, Belgium. Good for you. It took all the way to 1958? It took to 1958, but hey, it fucking happened at least. God damn. Best time to plant a tree was yesterday. Best time is now. You know, even as the era of human zoos came to a close, they left obviously a harrowing legacy in their wake. They had normalized the dehumanization of non-European cultures, fueled racial prejudices, and etched deep scars in the collective psyche of the victims. Yet they also sparked conversations about the equality and human dignity that these people deserved, providing impetus for the civil rights movements that swept across the globe in the subsequent Mm. decades. And today, as we look back at this dark chapter of a human history, it serves as a grim reminder of the extent to which curiosity can be corrupted in the name of simple human spirit. This is truly, you know, like followed by capitalism, of course, but it all starts with curiosity. It underscores the importance of recognizing and cherishing our shared humanity beyond the superficial differences of race and culture. Something that is just so important today, so much more important, not than that back then, but just it's so more important than people realize. Yet the story of human zoos is also a testament to our capacity for change. As we stand on the shoulders of those who fought against such injustices, we carry forward their legacy and our continued struggle for equality, people. Fight the fight like they fought. Watch Andor. <laughs> Listen to the last episode's goddamn message. All right? This is the inspiration where you I got Andor this from, you okay? You were like, I'm Go ready to throw it. down. Look, I don't blame you. I was there, too. I was there, too. I'm ready to, I'm ready to shut down human zoos. Dude, <laughs> it's just a constant and stark reminder that we must always strive to ensure that these atrocities remain firmly in the past as modern-day sensibilities are seeing old-time hatred starting to creep the fuck into public discourse. And that's something, I think, that more than just the crazy nonsense of the human zoos, we should be walking away with that thought. 
The, the story of human zoos, haunting narrative replete with elements of curiosity, ignorance, exploitation, indifference, but it's a, not a narrative that people need to shy away from. The dark history of us is more than just serial killers and MK Ultra style programs. It is literally human curiosity twisted to the evils of making a dollar and killing and destroying hundreds or th- likely thousands of people's lives in the process over the course of almost a hundred years. Um, they had somebody on display for like a hundred and, uh, like, uh, a part of was like on display for like 170, like uh, rather up to 1975. Somebody what? didn't get to be freed until 1975 was another 1975. It's nuts. It's crazy, man. Yes. It's crazy. Fuck off. Holy it's shit. It's nuts. Yeah, I know it sucks, but this is true. This happened. In America, in our biggest zoos, in our natural history museum. I'm not that, ex- I'm not that surprised about it happened in America, to be honest with you. No, but it, it happened not, you know, all over the world. And this is something that uh, I think not a lot of people know of. And I'm glad I got to educate just a little bit for some of you out there today of this poignant reminder of our ability to hopefully, hopefully learn from our mistakes. Sheesh. And that's the end of human zoos, ladies and gentlemen. The horrible history of human zoos. That's been like weirdly in the works for months as an on and off interest of mine. Human zoos. Human zoos. I kind of, I wish there was a human zoo, a human zoos that we could talk about instead. Probably a lot more fun and a lot more lighthearted. According to the Department of Tourism, it is. Yeah, according to the Department of Tourism. Nowadays, nowadays it is. Great there. Nowadays it is. Uh, that's it for us, guys. I just want to say, uh, hey, if you're listening to us on Spotify, drop us a comment. Uh, answer the poll. I usually have a fun poll, uh, Q&A or something for you guys down there. There's a, it's all part of the machine algorithm now. I'm part of Spotify and is a huge part yeah, of our discovery a whole, like, on the Q&A thing and stuff on there now. It's fantastic. It's great. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the, the, the comment section and the poll you can put up for every episode is fantastic. Uh, and yeah, and it just, you know, drives the machine to suggest our show to other people. Uh, you, you made us one of the top 300 sh- podcasts on incredible. Spotify, which what? in itself is incredible. fucking what is, crazy. What? Like what the heck? Yeah, we are one of the top three hundred podcasts on Spotify. Isn't that insane? Yeah, I'm worried about podcasts. Bonkers. I think that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, we just do our due diligence. All right, we work really what's hard. Yeah, we what's just work really hard. I'm a little let down by them. Honestly, uh, we're off to do a minisode. We're going to be doing updates on the UAP situation as well as a few other things. You can support us directly over at Patreon.com/slash/IlluminatiPod. Like us, leave reviews, five stars wherever you're at. It also helps on all those other platforms that you listen to. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Hell yeah. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Anyway, me and my wife were sitting outside indulging on our porch one night, enjoying ourselves. I needed to go to the bathroom, so I stepped back inside. And after a few moments, I hear my wife go, holy shit, get out here. So I quickly dash back outside. And she's looking up at the sky in awe. I look up too, and there's a perfect line of dozen lights traveling across the sky.